Hi, I'm Sarah Shea. And I'm Strangely Duesberg. Welcome to the Pilot House. A podcast where we watch all the shows we missed the first time around. And try to figure out where the heck they were going with this. Dark in the city, night is a wire. Steam in the subway, earth is a fire. Burn notice. All right, what do we know? What do we not know? I know that Burn Notice is about, like, there's sort of like a Robin Hood vibe. Like, he's helping people who can't help themselves, like Kane from Kung Fu. There's, like, some sort of vibe like that. All right. Already more than I knew. And I know that Bruce Willis is in it. No, not Bruce Willis. Damn it. Bruce Campbell. Don't don't hurt me. Bruce, <laughs> Bruce's, please. I love all the Bruce's. I didn't mean to mess that up. Bruce Campbell no, is in no, it. No, no, no. It's the shark. It's the shark from Jaws is a, ma- is a recurring character. <laughs> he oh. just rolls up on land and like, creaks into place. I'm, I'm sorry. I also love you too, Bruce Boxleiter. Uh, so, so, so Bruce Campbell is in it and he wears a lot of Hawaiian shirts in it. I know that's like mm. a thing. That, Bruce Campbell yes, in Hawaiian shirts is mm-hmm. a thing on the show. And I, I feel like the there's like maybe like a con man angle. Ooh, I'm I hope a, so. I'm a big fan of anything with con men because I love that sort of, there's a whimsy to it. The flim flam. The flim flam. I love the flim flam. And I think there might be con men involved in this, but I don't know. Um, but that's about all that I know about this show. I know that um, it also, like there's some action in this show. I think things go boom I remember when the show was right before the show launched, like I was at the movies and they did like a little preview for it. And there was something about like an exploding swimming pool. And I really hope that's in the pilot. Yeah. Honestly, all I knew about this leading up to it was the Bruce Campbell was in it. I do remember having heard of that. And I feel like I've seen an image of him in Hawaiian shirts. So I had a sense that it was in California or something like that. Um, I had a vague sense that possibly there was crime in it, and I know my mom likes it. That's about it. Yeah. That's all well, I know. I don't has... know what the burn... What is the burn notice? Maybe it's... Oh, maybe it starts with a character getting in some sort of trouble. He gets someone's noticed. Like, this is your burn notice. He gets notified that he has been burned. Yeah. <laughs> some, like, something like you that. You just got served. <laughs> you just got like, noticed. apply cold water to the burn area that I noticed. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's where we are with this one. Pretty, All right. pretty big stuff. So. Pretty excited to check this out. All right, let's go watch Burn Notice. All right, so that was Burn Notice. That was, uh, honestly, I'm going to have to say a lot more fun than I expected. Yeah, um, it was pretty good. I'm not super in love with it, but for a 2007 show on, what, USA? Is it a USA show? Yeah, I think so. I believe so. Not bad. <laughs> no, well, I think the thing, the thing, the thing, like my hot take on it, Im- almost immediately from the get go, is like this show knows exactly what it is. It's yeah. it's something that I don't see often in pilots, like a show that is like that they know what their what budget they're working within, they know kind of what sort of locations they want to show, etc. Like everything seemed very appropriately scaled to the budget of the production, which is something that like a lot of other shows are like, Oh, and we're going to have air force one and a fake president and Al Qaeda and all these things. And like, this was very small and tight and like the level of sort of action scenes and everything 
was appropriate to that. Yeah. At least I felt watching this pilot. Yeah, I, f- I feel like I could agree with that. The only thing that I found sort of odd about it, and maybe this will make more sense after we talk about the actual show, but I felt like kind of confused about who this main character really is as a person. Like I, I felt like they were trying to sell me two different people and I wasn't sure that I bought him being both of them, you know? Maybe we'll talk more about that after the synopsis or where I'll, I have, I will have examples. It did feel like they were trying to sell him as either like this stone cold badass or as like, he's really got a heart of gold softy, but like he kind of oscillated wildly between those two things at points. And it was kind of hard. Yeah. It was hard to quite get a handle on him, but that can often happen in a pilot where it's just the character needs a little more room to breathe. And it's like, this is all the things that he could be at different points, depending on situations or something. Yeah. But overall, I think a lot more fun than I was expecting, which I think had a lot to do with some of the uh, supporting cast in this as well. True. Because everybody just seemed to be having a ball. Yeah. There was no one thing about the show that I hated. I'll say that right now, (laughs) which is not true of a lot of the shows we've watched. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, shall we go to that synopsis? Yeah. Let's get into it. All right. Some kind of real sassy music cue. Burn notice. The pilot, which is titled Pilot. I feel like we should start noting when shows are, because a lot of shows are just, it's just called Pilot, and sometimes they get a proper title. This is true. This one, just Pilot. In the pilot, we meet Michael Weston, our hero, an American spy who is in the middle of a sticky operation in Nigeria when he gets notified that he's been burned, which is apparently spy talk for getting fired, basically. Uh, immediately we are, well, I, I, I think it's funny that they, they, they immediately launch into like, we hear, he calls somebody in the middle of this scheme he's in and they go, sorry, we received a burn notice. Yeah. And then he's hung up on, so they like, they say the title of the show, like bam, right up top. And then very quickly after that, somebody uses burned as a verb. So we're like, we're in on the lingo immediately. Yeah. Uh, So immediately, we're shown two conceits of the show's design. It has two fun conceits. One is that Michael gives sassy voiceover about whatever's happening. Usually commentary about how being a spy is not all that great. It's really boring. You stand around waiting a lot and stuff like that. (laughs) Uh, And also, when new characters are introduced, whether they are for this single episode or important for the long run, uh, we get a title card on screen giving their first name. Uh, or whatever their name is, and their title in the context of the episode. So we see the character that he's doing the deal with is Boris, wannabe warlord. Those are two of the main conceits of the show. Yeah, which makes our job very easy. Because (laughs) I one of the hardest things when watching a new pilot, especially one that has, uh, I think this has more than a dozen named characters of note, Mm. is keeping track of who people are and what what they're uh what they are. Yeah. Like, oh, was was Oleg the art dealer or what? So like it's great that these things are noted for us. Yeah. And it it helps it's a bit of a cheat exposition wise because 
for it gets we get to know exactly who the character is, whether we know already or not. Right. It gives them an opportunity to give a little bit of backstory, right. uh, which was used. Sometimes it wasn't, and sometimes it was. But it's a little bit of a cheat, but I'm okay with it. It's sort of fun. It helps you keep track because honestly, there are a lot of characters. Right. So I kind of I'm gonna let him go. And also, I kind of read that that particular conceit as that is how Michael is sizing people up when he meets them. Oh, that's an idea. Yeah, I like that. Like that little thing popping up was like Michael's internal monologue of like who they were, what they were. Um, mm-hmm. So he's in a sticky situation. He's been burned. And we get to see Michael do some classic spy stuff in order to get out of the sticky situation. The burn notice has landed him in. And he like yeah. steals a motorcycle. And there's a really awesome chase scene like through the streets of Nigeria. Like this was one of the things where I was like, they are not trying to do like an epic jump over a river or something. It's like, it's very firmly grounded within the level of budget that this show has. Yeah. And actually I want to step slightly back for a moment. Just before he leaps into action with the, with the chase scene, Uh there's actually a moment when he first figures out he is in a hotel room surrounded by bad guys and he's just been completely cut off from his support system and he is totally screwed. There's a moment there where you're expecting, aha, now's when he flies into action like James Bond. Right. And instead they cut to the Stooges beating the crap out of him with the <laughs> mid 2000s version of the Benny Hill music playing. Yes. Like it's immediately we get the tone is a little fun. Yeah. Like he, it's it's less actiony. The show's going to be less actiony than it is. It's like haha oops and all of a sudden they're beating him up with like a music bang or something. Yeah. I I kind of like that. But then he gets to launch into action. He beats up the bad guys. He gets on a motorcycle. He gets through the, you know, totally classic uh, foreign market, outdoor market, and gets to himself to the airport. Yeah, and he, he hops on a plane and, like, passes out on the plane. Yeah. And then wakes up at a cheap hotel in Miami. Yeah, which uh, we get some exposition from the character who is waiting for him to wake up in the cheap hotel in Miami, which is Fiona, the ex-girlfriend, <laughs> who is Irish and the best part of the show, in my opinion. Also, like, I got to say, I think it's amazing that we have watched, uh, like, about 10 or 11 pilots together now. And this is the first one where the female romantic lead is, like, within 12 months of age of the male romantic lead. Oh, yeah. They good are, point. They, they are f- less than a year apart. Yeah, I didn't look up the actors, but they just, they read as about the same age. And I didn't even think about it. It's so, it's funny. I don't think about it when they look about the same age. I notice it when they don't look right, the same age. Right. That's what I noticed. So yeah, that was nice. I immediately keyed into that and I was like, ah, uh, I have to look though, because this is TV and this is USA Yeah. or whatever network. This is that kind of network. So I, I went and looked and like, yeah, they're the two, the actor and actress are like 48 and 49 now, respectively. So at the time of the show, they would have been in their late 30s. Yeah, which is which? How refreshing! Yeah, and and even just for for him as the lead in this, he's he's playing someone who's been around the block a little bit, but he's not playing the like older mentory type guy. Yeah. which I feel like a lot of TV shows would have someone who's about forty being the older mentory guy. But no, not this one. Yeah, he's he's the main guy. Yeah, he's he's just he's between being a young hotshot and being an old mentor. He's that nice spot in the middle right. where you're just doing your job. Yeah, he's a he's almost a Richard Dean Anderson. <laughs> 
Oh, and it gets even more Richard Dean Anderson-y later, but we'll hold on to that. So we get a little bit of exposition from uh, Fiona, the ex-girlfriend, a little bit about their history, that they're broken up, uh, is that he's in Miami and she was called because uh, she's still listed as the emergency contact in his wallet, but all she knows is that the airline was instructed to bring him to Miami and she comments that it's home isn't it I mean as close as you have to a home your mom is here and he is like not thrilled about mom being there oh no like he's not excited to be in Miami of any place he could have woken up he's not excited about it being his ostensible home of Miami so uh immediately we get a vibe that she is not exactly uh, a civilian either right he looks out the window and she goes oh yeah you got an fbi tail on you and he asks her to shake it uh, for him and she goes all right but you owe me dinner like they've got a fun kind of rapport right off the bat i also really like the scene right off the bat because he asked her to do a favor for him but it didn't feel like a Come on, baby, do this for me. It was more of just like, a, oh, yeah. you're here. You obviously give a shit about me. You are very competent. Yeah. Please be competent on my behalf, yeah. which I liked. I really liked that interplay a lot. Yeah, he kind of treated her like, well, you're here. You're more or less on my team right now. So can you shake these guys for me? It, it There was no manipulation. And she, was, she wasn't like, ugh, this, you, this old boyfriend of mine. She like. She treated him like someone who's just, I don't know, someone who's in her life that she's not totally sure if she trusts or not. But she wasn't, like, bitter, which you get a lot with an ex-girlfriend character. Right. Big finger quotes on ex-girlfriend. Very quickly, Michael finds out that his credit cards and bank accounts and all of his money have been frozen and he's broke. Yeah. So he he tries to get a hold of his handler and he's, like, calling the CIA or whoever he worked for. And they're like, never heard of him. He doesn't exist. They're like, oh, I'm sorry. That person doesn't work here. And he's like, "Uh, look, I know the procedure. I couldn't get to a secure line. Just let me talk to him. But they give him the brush off and hang up on him. (laughs) So he then pulls uh, the first of many, many examples of uh, whimsical spy fuckery, (laughs) which I capitalized in my notes. Uh, Because there is, I mean, we're getting a... spy fuckery. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if... For those of you who've listened to our white collar episode, this is the same kind of whimsical fuckery that we saw Neil pulling in white collar, except then it was con man fuckery. Now it's spy fuckery, but it's the same kind of just pulling some some fun hijinks where he buys a uniform and sneaks into an office building dressed as a messenger and manages to get into the office of title card Lucy, ex-spy. So we don't know exactly what Lucy does, but she recognizes him right away, uh, is like, what the heck are you doing here? I heard what happened, but she hasn't heard much, just that he was burned. Right. He says... She's like a civilian contractor now or something. She's someone who does consulting or some sort of high-level detective work or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she's kind of connected, but not like right on it. Right, yeah. And he says, no, the burn must have been a mistake, but I can't look into it without money. I've got nothing. Right. So she connects him with a job and gives him some cash, says, you know, clean yourself up. You look terrible. And sends him off to Sam, who 
they kind of have a back and forth to indicate he's not super thrilled that Sam is the only person that he can talk to, but she's like, what? He, he, he told me he was looking for someone for a job that you could do. I'll send you his way. And in the next scene, we meet Sam. Who is played by Bruce Campbell. Oh my God. I can't, I forgot to re-listen to our, what we know, which we recorded a while back. So I apologize that this is going to sound disjointed. I don't remember if either of us remembered that Bruce Campbell was in this. I definitely did know that. I had heard that Bruce Campbell. We we did. And uh, I mean, I was not aware that his his part was like, he is a regular on the show. I thought maybe he would be like a cameo thing every once in a while. I think I had a sense that he was a regular character on the show. He was so great. Like, it was something that, yeah. like, in the very first thing you s- we see him doing is, like, he's checking out, like, a hot girl walking by in a bikini, which eh. this show... The, just the hour pilot of the show has more gratuitous walking around in bikini shots than the entire Fast and the Furious franchise has achieved in like <laughs> eight feature films now. It's Yeah, it, it is in Miami. And they did, we skipped over it, but there's a little bit where the only place that he has the cash to stay and where he points out in his voiceover that he'll be able to easily spot a, an FBI tale is a shitty beachfront hotel full of spring breakers. So there's a lot of bikinis going on for the first couple of uh, couple of scenes. But back to Sam, yes. who appears on screen. Sam, the buddy. And that's Bruce Campbell's character. He is a former spy. He's retired, kind of a layabout and a goofball. He's got like some sugar mama that's uh, paying his rent, you know, and he's he's a bit of a lush. Yeah. Oh, and he drinks in every single scene that we see him in. So he's an alcoholic. He's a little bit of a womanizer, but in a, in a pretty cash way. He doesn't he's not gross. He doesn't creep too hard on anybody in this episode anyway. No. Um, and he's just he's just easygoing. He's just like, hey, what do I care if you're burned or not? I'll talk to whoever. Nobody tells me anything. Yeah. I'm just a freaking goofball. But yeah, pictured Bruce Campbell not acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, he is there mainly to hook up Michael with a job. He sends him to this super fancy mansion mm-hmm. where Michael meets uh, Javier the uh, caretaker is credited on screen. So this guy is under suspicion of robbing his employer. Um, but he says, you know, I, I didn't do it. He's offering him a tiny amount of money, but he's desperate. He's a single dad. Right. So Michael takes a job, which it's, it seems a little bit unclear, but it's like, well, I guess he's desperate for money. Right. So even though Javier is only uh, offering him a tiny amount, he's like, well, okay, fine, I'll take it. Well, and also there's something, uh, Michael says something as he's walking up to the mansion where he like clocks how much money is flying around at the mansion and says something about how this could lead him to oh, other yeah. things or something like that. Like, it's kind of like, well, he's like, I'm getting the ins with these people in this world or something. I'd he says that this is the kind of place where you can get in trouble. Right. He says, one day you screw in a light bulb in a building like this, and before you know it, you're getting shot at by a Mex- Mexican cartel. <laughs> oh my gosh, like that's that. right. And the, yeah. the Javier, the caretaker, is played by this amazing character actor, David Zayas, who has been on a lot of procedurals and TV shows and often plays someone who's a little more villainous or a little more like rough around the edges. Oh, that's fun. I didn't recognize him. I really dug seeing him just play this like loving, devoted father and like nice dude who just works a job. Like, yeah, it was really fun to see the warmth that this guy can bring because often he's playing the guy who's like, 
you don't want to mess with him or he might betray you or something. Oh. And so to just see him just be like nice, but really gave me the warm and fuzzies because yeah. he's a great actor and I love seeing him and stuff. So I was like, yes, that's fun because I didn't recognize him, but I did recognize his employer, Mr. Pine, who is played by Ray Wise. I had to look up the actor's name, but this guy has been in freaking everything and he was playing to type in this episode. Yes. He is always a rich, smarmy asshole. And I actually was interested to I glanced at his um filmography and and tv credits because i was trying to remember what do i know this guy from <laughs> i could kind of generally picture him as a smarmy evil dude in a million things but i couldn't pin anyone down and he's he's been in so much i, I couldn't even tell what i was mainly recognizing him from yeah. but interestingly enough he has been in three shows that we have done on this podcast moonlighting even charmed and ncis oh my gosh appearance yeah yeah. He is so He plays great. a demon on Charmed. Of course he does. <laughs> yeah, of course, right? In in Moonlighting, which obviously that was early in his career, he is simply credited as murderer. <laughs> That's all oh, he gets. I I've watched that episode because that is like really? episode two or three, and I remember being like, Oh my gosh, there he is. Yeah. i oh my gosh. Oh man. He's yeah, just this great. guy, I cannot Oh, God. You know, what's funny is I've been listening to a podcast about Riverdale, the the, the sexy CW Archie show. Mm -hmm. uh, the podcast is very funny. Cry me Riverdale. I don't actually watch the show, though. I'm just listening to the podcast. And I keep picturing Ray Wise as uh, Hiram Lodge. I know it's not him. It's somebody else. Uh, but that's who I picture. He could totally have played. If, if that show wasn't so obsessed with hot dads, because he's not really hot. Right. Uh, he could have totally been uh, a, a villainous Hiram Lodge. Anyway, moving on. Uh, Sam then also hooks up Michael with a shitty apartment above a nightclub for very cheap. And the, as far as I can tell, the only reason that they did this is because he needed sort of a whimsical hideout. And uh, the the like, yeah, like his landlord is like a Russian club owner who used to be like in the KGB back in the day and has heard of Michael and you know, is like, oh, spy, also spy. Let's be yeah. spy friends or something. Well, he drops, he does a little expo drop um, that he says, oh, you're Michael Weston, really? I was always told back in Russia that uh, Michael Weston was, wasn't one person. It was one man, one name for many men because no one man could cause that much trouble. Right. So it's like a little, little expo drop saying Michael's a real badass, even though. Subtle dig at James Bond as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a, uh, He's just so nice. So then in that scene, he also mentions that there's a neighbor who's a drug dealer. And I would like to propose that we just ignore that entire B plot because it comes to nothing in the end. Yeah. There's this drug dealer who keeps showing up and it just kind of there's no reason for it's it. It's just an excuse to like pad out the running time with a little bit more whimsical spy fuckery. And yeah, it, it shows him getting to do a little more. He does some very MacGyvery spy stuff, yeah. which we'll get into more. But like his spy stuff has a lot of, you know, going to a hardware store and buying duct tape. And a lot of times the tricky stuff he does is to prevent anybody from getting hurt more than they need to or hurt at all. Right. Which is kind of shows him being a good guy. But yeah, that's the only reason that this drug dealer is there. He's totally useless. He's not an interesting character. And it seems like they resolve it. I. Maybe he comes back, but I can't imagine he would. So we, we shall speak of him no more. Yes. Uh, he uh, So then Michael in the apartment, which is just like a huge, it's like an empty 
storage room, but it's got nice wood floors. It's like maybe it used to be. It a, looks like a Manhattan loft. It looks like a. <laughs> it looks like a dance studio to me. That's what I thought it was. Yeah, but it has some like you know some like stage decorations that make it look like oh yeah this is above a theater or nightclub or whatever. Yeah. So it makes a nice sort of uh, whimsical hideout for him. Uh, while he is there, he gets a call from his mom. She's manipulative. I found the mom character really uninteresting, so I didn't make a ton of notes about her. She's just manipulative and and a hypochondriac. Yeah. So she gets him to drive him to the... There's this whole scene where he drives her to the hospital. He has to steal a car in order to do it, and we get a little more background that he's a good guy, that he doesn't hurt people he doesn't have to hurt. He says in his voiceover, you know, if I have to steal a car, I will always, you know, return it. By five. I won't damage it. And I like, yeah, I'll return it by five if I borrow it on a weekday <laughs> like, or on like on a work day. Yeah. It's kind of, it's a cute little bit, but yeah. um, he does this whole thing where he has to shake the, the feds that are tailing him, which in order to shake someone, you have to, he's like, it's not about speed because a chase just gets you on the, you know, nine o'clock news. But if you drive enough like an idiot, eventually the other guy will make a mistake and they'll get cut off. But of course he's in the car with his mom. So she's going, honey, what are you doing? The hospital's that way. And yeah. you know, although this, uh, this driving, like an, if you drive like an idiot, you'll lose your tail thing is now my head mm-hmm. cannon for what is going on when a, uh, someone is driving poorly around me on the highway. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, they're just trying to lose a tail. Yeah. By all means. Carry on, spy friend. <laughs> that is a good way to look at life. I like that. So then we get our first uh, proper MacGyver scene, which is him building a fake pipe bomb to mail to his handler to get his attention. Which, it's funny. You like, there's a moment where you're like, what is he doing? Is he building a bomb? And then in voiceover, he explains, you know, these days everybody, you know, x-rays their mail. So this is a good way to cause someone some trouble. Right. So... His handler then calls him the next day, is, you know, annoyed. It's like, okay, fine, you got my attention. I had to spend an hour talking to the FBI about this, why somebody would send me a fake pipe bomb in the mail. But he basically says, look, the burn wasn't my doing. I think it's bullshit, but I, it was above my pay grade. Right. So he just tells Michael to lie low, basically. Th- yeah, thanks, buddy. Don't leave my Miami. Uh, yeah. So then Michael... I feel like that's the moment that Michael like officially decides to take the job because the next scene he goes to Javier's house and meets Javier's 10 year old son. Who's like adorable and cute and precocious and all the things that like TV children are and says to Javier, like, mm-hmm. I'll do it, but I want half the money up front. And Javier just like already has half the money counted out and like hands it to him. It's adorable. <laughs> Cause like, it just kind of says to me that like this guy Javier is like, You know, he's kind of a low level, like just a dude working a job operator. But at the same time, like he's a competent dude who's pretty good at like, you know, he's like he's on it. He's like, I know where this is going. Here's your money. Let's do this thing. Yeah. And he's very trusting. He's like. Right. He knows that. I mean, they say the amount he's got. It's like five grand. It's not even five grand. Like, that's nothing. Because during their earlier conversation, Michael says, "Okay, so what you want me to do is solve this mystery find out who actually did it did it catch the bad guys and clear your name and you want me to do all that for less than five grand and it so it's not a lot of money so the fact that michael is willing to help javier i think that makes him like 
he's like, yeah, I will, whatever I, I'm going to give, you're willing to do anything. I will give you this money, you know? Anyway, Michael then goes back to Sam, who we've kind of established Sam is his connection back to the world right. of, of shenanigans, basically. Yeah. <laughs> of crime and spy fuckery. So. <laughs> Whimsical spy fuckery, LLC, CEO, yeah. Bruce Campbell. <laughs> no, no, no. That implies that it's a job. Sam is yeah. just happens to know people. <laughs> he doesn't actually do anything. That's the great thing. Michael just meets up with him and says, Connect me to someone, you know, connect me to a money launderer. Yeah. He just has no connections. He has no way to get a hold of anybody anymore. Right. But Sam, he just knows everybody because he's like, whatever, I just chat with people. Yeah. So he connects him to a money launderer who connects him to an art dealer because Michael's thought is the way to find out who actually committed this robbery is to track down the paintings because that was one of the things that was stolen. Some Very expensive paintings by famous people so he goes all right well i'll figure out who bought the paintings and i'll you know track it back from there so he goes to uh talks to the money launderer and the money launderer and him like seem to know each other and have a little bit of history and yeah. uh they have like a, a little chat and the money launderer sends him <laughs> it's kind of cute yeah it's it's kind of cute which something that this show one of the reasons i enjoyed the show so much is that all of these bit parts are i mean a lot of the characters are very broad but Everybody, it seems like this show is going to be populating its universe with really, really memorable guest characters. Yeah. Which is a really fun thing to do on a show. A show like this lives or dies based on, like, the randos who show up for one scene. Right, yeah. And they're not depicted as, like, all, you know, slimy criminal types. Like, the the money launderer, he says, I need you to uh, connect me to someone about some paintings. And the guy goes, oh, paintings are no good anymore. Uh, it's just not, it's not a safe bet. I would recommend stamps. They're portable. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, maybe coins. <laughs> it's, re- it's kind of cute. He's like, oh, no, no, no. That's a bad way to launder money. Here, let me hook you up with something better. Maybe coins, maybe stamps. It's kind of cute. So then Michael goes to this uh, art dealer and the art dealer tells him that the paintings that that he's looking for, like there were some paintings like that recently on the market for sale by a real estate guy who's trying to sell them at a high price, but nobody was buying. Yeah, because it's like not a popular art movement anymore or whatever. Basically, it becomes obvious that Pine was trying to sell them and couldn't sell them. And this this was like the one, one the, this scene was a little bit like... Uh, like, I didn't quite know how I was supposed to read it because the art dealer is like very much like this gay caricature who's like, hello, handsome. Like, I will tell you some things. Yeah. And then I just couldn't quite read the performance, Michael's performance in the scene because he was like, thank you. You've been very helpful. And it was almost, I was like, are you willing to flirt like both sides of the line to get to some info? I didn't. Yeah. I didn't see it that way. The way I read it was. When he first is introduced to the art dealer, he's not flirty or anything. He's only sort of a, he's effeminate, but not like especially a gay stereotype. You know, he's got a right. sweater tied around his neck. He he just looks like a, a rich art guy, right? But then as they're having the conversation, he's kind of like, oh, he's a little swishy in his, oh, you know, this, some real estate guy who's buying some paintings nobody wants anymore. You know, he's a little bit swishy. And then when Michael, you know, gets the information he wants... There's a pause, and the guy kind of leans over and goes, you know, I have some Greek, uh, nude Greco-Roman wrestling statues you might be interested in taking a look at. And it's it's just a little bit flirty. And Michael's reaction is kind of weird because 
he doesn't say anything. He just kind of goes and looks slightly uncomfortable. Like it would have been a great opportunity for him to just say like, I'll pass like thanks, but no thanks or something. Instead, he just kind of like, and it just read like a, like a kind of a tacky joke about, Oh no, a gay guy. How he's flirting with me. How do like, it didn't read to me as him willing to flirt. It read to me as him just like them trying to make a joke about it. And it just, the joke didn't land. Right. Well, it's almost as like, like the, the scene is like missing, like, a little, like you said, a little snippet of dialogue where he's like, oh, no, I'm flattered, but no, or something. Yeah. Anything. Because it just ends on that awkward face and laugh. Yeah. He could have either been like, thanks, but no thanks, sweetheart. Or he could have been like, you know, maybe some other time. Yeah. Or he could have been like, yeah, I'm good or something. It could have been one way or the other. Instead, he just kind of looks weird. So then Michael goes and breaks into Pine's house to look for evidence that Pine was the one trying to sell the paintings. Yeah. This was my favorite scene in the whole episode. There's this voiceover about how if you're breaking into someone's house, don't put on a ski mask and like sneak around in, in all black because if someone sees you, it's going to be obvious what you're, you're doing there. So he's just wearing like a shirt and pants. It just looks like a normal guy. And he's like, yeah, like it's better to look like a guest or at the very worst, someone who's just kind of lost. So he like the first thing he does is go to the fridge and take out a yogurt and like start eating it as he walks casually through the house. Before he breaks into the safe. Yeah, the voiceover says, the voiceover says, you know, get a soda or yogurt from the fridge. If someone catches you, just act confused and, uh, you know, you'll be able to talk yourself out of it most of the time. Yeah. So that was a kind of a fun moment. That's one of the things I like about the show is that most of his actual spy action, the spy stuff that's not MacGyvery, is pretty much just like it's him finding the easy way to do something. Yeah. Not the most dramatic way. Right. I, it was one of the aspects of the show that was just so welcome and refreshing and fun for me that it wasn't like this mission impossible, like doing the limbo under a laser kind of heist. Yeah. He just like walked in and ate a yogurt, which <laughs> like it very quickly established the show as something a little bit different and kind of like special. Cause I, yeah, yeah it was really fun. It's, I just enjoyed it so much. So in the safe, which he breaks into using some silly, silly putty, putty. <laughs> uh, he finds some documents that basically show that Pine stole his own paintings for an insurance scam. We then cut to Michael telling Javier about this, saying, you know, Pine was losing money because of scams and a bad market. You know, he bought like fake properties and whatever. The whole thing was a scam. So he had his security meathead who I skipped in the notes, but, you know, earlier on we met this, you know, just like a real, you know, blonde jarhead type dude in a tight shirt who was like, we know who did this. It was Javier, you know. Uh, so basically Vin Vince is his name. He was the one who actually pulled off the break in so that Pine could collect the insurance. And then Javier's like, well, what do I do? And suddenly Michael's not just on board with working for Javier for this small amount of money. He actually wants to help Javier take Pine down. I, I kind of got the vibe here that Michael sees something of himself in Javier's situation. Like someone above his pay grade has decided to screw him over and he's trying to fight back against it and he can't help himself right now. But he looks at Javier and he's like, I think I can help you keep from getting screwed over by someone above your pay grade. 
So I'm going to help you. And I bought that, but especially by the end of the episode, I could see that that's what was going on. But at this moment in the pilot, I was like, why is he okay with this? Why is he on board with this? I just wanted a scene or a line or something to really cement that this is what Michael is thinking. I needed a little something extra. That was one of my only complaints about the writing itself. And it's something that like is kind of seems to be a problem with him as a character. And it's something we mentioned at the top is like, is this guy a heartless badass or is he like a Robin Hood figure? Yeah. And it like by the end of the episode, I very much felt he's like a Robin Hood figure. Something like the gang on leverage. Yes, exactly. Oh, this show has... A real leverage vibe. Yeah. Although it predates leverage. Well, it has definitely leveraged its way into my heart. (laughs) So next we have Michael visiting Pine and showing him the proof and basically saying, boy, uh, it'd be a real shame if uh, any of these documents were seen by the police, which would happen if Javier was arrested. So basically saying he's planted all these documents at Javier's house or something so that the police would find it. If he was arrested. So he's protected Javier for the time being. Yes. And uh, he just, you know, he drops that information and then bounces, uh, makes a kind of gross homophobic comment to Vince and then leaves. Yeah, that that little scene again was like it was just kind of odd. That was like, an, it felt like a very odd throwaway line. It was just unnecessary. Vince is wearing some, I don't know, like mock turtleneck kind of shirt or whatever. It's very like Euro looking. Yeah. It, it wasn't as weird as the henchman in Moonlighting with the see-through shirt. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, come on, give him a break. He's not wearing a see-through blouse. You can't see his nipples. Get over it. Yeah. But you know, Michael goes, nice shirt. Does it come in men's? And it's like... Come on, 2007. Really? That's the best you could do? Like, anyway, he then leaves and we get MacGyver scene number two, where he's basically making a bug out of cheap cell phones. And he makes a a cute comment in the voiceover about you learn to do this kind of thing when uh, the... The budget, well, whatever it's called, uh, when the, whatever you, the budget department, that's not what it's called. When you call and they're like, we, we won't, won't pay for fancy bugs. Yeah. So he figures out how to make a bug and then meets up with Fiona and asks her for help. He takes her out to dinner and we get a whole big expo dump. She's a former bank robber for the IRA, presumably the, uh, the Irish one. <laughs> they just say the IRA and don't. Right. And I was like, I know what they mean. But I feel like there are some people who watching this who'd be like, for the internal revenue? No, not not internal revenue. So that's IRS. Um, what's the other IRA? The Roth IRA. Uh, yeah, isn't there, there's an organization. No, am I just thinking of a, anyway, it says for the IRA. Anyway, so they get a bit of a back and forth about she's not over him. She still kind of wants him. But she's willing to help because she's very like, yeah, might as well. Why not? She's kind of up for whatever. Yeah. Although it's clear that part of it is that she also still isn't over him. Again, like just it was so nice to have a romance between people of the same age. (laughs) And a sort of refreshing take on it. Like, it wasn't a cliche. Oh, this man who ruined my life. How, you know, last time I saw you, you did horrible thing. You left me to be, you know, on a a train depot in New Orleans or whatever. You know, it was, it wasn't a, you ruined my life. You left me tied to a chair (laughs) in a burning space shuttle over Prague. How dare you? Yeah, and it's not like a sassy back and forth. He's very much like, look, I'm not good at relationships. It's, it's, I'm good at 
tactical analysis and hand-to-hand combat. I'm not good at relationships. It's they have a very kind of real feeling conversation where she's like, you know, we could we could have made it. We could have our relationship could have gone somewhere. And he was like, well, if it makes you feel better, you were the closest I ever got. And he doesn't say to what, presumably to marriage or something like that. He just says, but not close enough. And it's, I don't know, it's, it feels like a very genuine moment between the two of them. But I also like that she's like, eh, okay, I'm still game for whatever shenanigans you're about to get me into because I haven't got anything else fun to do right now. You know, that's like her attitude. Speaking of shenanigans, <laughs> the next day, Michael and Sam pull some great shenanigans to sneak the bug into Pine's car where, oh, yeah. like, Sam hires a acquaintance of his who's a cabbie to punch him in the face yeah. to, like, have, like, a fake brawl. He's like, yeah, I offered him 50 bucks to punch me in the face. He didn't need to hear any more. And then uh, Michael go- doesn't Michael say, I'd do it for 20 yeah. or something <laughs> like that? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a nice little moment. And yeah, they they <sighs> Sam and the cab driver fake a like an altercation over the cab driver cutting him off or whatever. They fight. He gets punched and lands in Pine's car, so he's able to plant the bug. So it's a nice little uh, little moment there of of spy shenanigans. So great. Uh then I don't know, we get some more family stuff. The family stuff was really it felt like it was definitely setting things up for the future of the show. The family stuff didn't really play into this plot at all. His mom keeps mentioning his brother Nate and how they should reconnect. Nate's a total mess. Oh, and she establishes earlier that the dad, she's like, you missed your father's funeral. And it's a great line, actually. I should have mentioned it. By eight years. And then Michael says, well, the last time I saw him, he said, I'll see you in hell. So I figured we had a standing appointment. (laughs) So we've established that he says something about, you know, dad was, you know, kicked me around as a kid. Right. They had a bad relationship. Uh, he doesn't care for his parents. His mom's manipulative, but he still cares about her. The brother, he also doesn't have a great relationship with, but the mom's like, come on, yeah. bring bring him home for Christmas. This scene is interesting, too, because I feel like this is the scene where we finally get the uh, the answer as to whether he's like a heart of gold or not kind of character. Because he has this great little voiceover bit where he's like, I'm rated on anything that shoots bullets. And I've learned four different styles of hand-to-hand combat and all these Muay Thai defenses. And I have two black belts or whatever. He's like, but the only attack I can't defend myself from is mom's tears in my shirt or something like that. Yeah. (laughs) And he's just like, he just like softens. He's like, okay, I'll talk to my brother. Yeah. And it, yeah, again, like kind of, sort of paired with the with the moment with Fiona like I felt like it wasn't like he was totally rolling over but it felt like he was unguarded and genuine which is the other thing that really set this apart for me from a lot of other like adventure shenanigans shows is like this guy seems like a real person who is willing to be emotional or willing to connect like with his family on a level like this Mm -hmm. in a way that sometimes you don't get on a show like this yeah like, he can still be a badass and, you know, be like, okay, mom. With You know, I, I don't know. I just liked that. Fortunately, he is saved from being around his mom for too long because Sam calls uh, and says that the bug picked up uh, Pine and Vincent in Pine's car and they're planning to kidnap Javier's kid. Yeah. So. Like, right now. So, Michael. Like right now. <laughs> Michael does this whole weird thing where he 
kind of carjacks a car, but like the guy's still in the guy who owns a car is still in it. The guy's a bit of a ridiculous stereotype, so I, I'd like to gloss over that scene. Basically, he steals a car, crashes it into Vince's car to stop Vince, but then takes all the cash out of Vince's wallet and his expensive watch and gives it to the guy and be like, here, sorry about the damage to your car, and like runs. So Yeah. He gets the kid, takes the kid to his place, and there's a little bit of a C-plot here about the kid is being beat up by some bullies at school, and Michael gives him a bit of a, like, fighting tutorial. Pep talk and a fighting lesson, yeah. yeah how to fight back to these kids. The the pep talk is, again, this great, like, vulnerability in the character where he's like, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the best at getting my butt kicked and... Like, I've gotten my butt kicked a lot. Check it out. Someone recently broke my ribs and like all this stuff. And he's like, it's knowing when to fight back and like when to not fight and being smart about it. And I, I just thought that was, again, it was really cool to hear this character be not being like, yeah, I'm the badass who can take out a whole room full of dudes. It was like, it was more like, yeah, I can do some pretty cool stuff when I'm set up right or whatever, but not always. Yeah, and being uh, uncomfortable around kids or not knowing what to do with kids is sort of a cliche of badass action hero type guys. So it's kind of nice to see him like, he's not super, he's not like, oh my God, I love kids, but he knows how to talk to this kid more or less. It's nice. Yeah. It's then revealed in the next scene, Sam has actually been reporting on Michael to these feds who've been tailing him this whole time, which we skipped over it, but there's a couple other scenes where he sees the feds tailing him and like does some kind of fun thing to get rid of them. But now Sam's sitting in a coffee shop talking to them and Michael strolls right in like, hey guys, are we talking about me? (laughs) Because he knew that this was going on. Right. He even comments like, come on, I have two known associates in Miami, Lucy and Sam, and they're both willing to help me. Like, that was too easy. Something was going on. But basically, all that's established there is that the feds don't know anything. They're just, they were instructed to keep an eye on him. Yeah. That's pretty much it. And he and Sam are cool. Sam's like, oh, I'm sorry, man. They got my, they got control of my pension. I had to. Which <laughs> is cute. The way Bruce Will, uh, Bruce Campbell, Bruce Willis, whoops. Sorry, Bruce's. <laughs> I didn't mean to offend the Bruce's actor. But, like, the way Bruce Campbell says that, like, ah, they got my pension. Like, it's just, oh, it's the most, like, Bruce Campbell, like, ah, I just shut up. Ah. Like, I love him so much. Yeah, but at the same time, he seems genuinely, like, sorry. Yeah. And he's like, he doesn't want Michael to not like him. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'm really sorry. And Michael says a thing about, well, what would I, ex- I would, it's, it's cool. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't expect to do anything different. What I would expect from someone who's my friend is for them to give the feds just enough to keep them off of my tail and out of my business. And he goes, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And he's like, all right, then we're cool. That's so good. He then, uh, he basically, we have our big action scene coming up next where Michael tricks Vince and Pine into coming to Javier's house, thinking that Javier is there. And then instead it's Michael waiting for them. And he pulls some cool kind of action movie stuff where he gets Pine to shoot Vince thinking that it's Michael coming down the hallway and instead it's Vince. So then he creates evidence. He ties up Pine, gets his fingerprints all over the inside of the gun that shot Vince. Cause apparently that's, you know, any, he says any competent, the voiceover says any competent lawyer can explain fingerprints on a gun, but try to explain fingerprints on the inside of the magazine. In other words, like you're the one who's been cleaning it and reassembling it and all that. It's like, yeah, you're like Mr. Gun guy. 
Yeah, this is your gun. It's not just one you picked up and shot. So yeah. he he then basically lays it out. You know, Vince is lying there with a gut wound and Pine is tied up. And so Michael lays it out. He says, look, I got your fingerprints all over this gun that just shot your buddy here. Um, I've got a recording of you planning a kidnapping. That's a big deal. Uh-huh. Uh, that's, you know, that's a few years at least. So he's got leverage. <laughs> Yeah. And he uses this. He tells Vince, uh, he or he tells Pine, you're going to get Vince to confess to the robbery. You're going to give Javier a very comfortable severance package and let him out of your employment. And uh, sure, why not? Just for funsies, how about a nice uh, college fund for the kid? <laughs> and, and Pine's like, you know, or what? And basically, you know, Mike, well, not or what? Because he says, you know, otherwise I'll, you know. I'll turn this all over to the to the cops. So he's basically going to he's basically blackmailing Pine here. Right. And he gives a nice threat about like at the end about like and I'll be watching. Yeah. So he's now thoroughly personally involved with this whole operation. Speaking of which, we then get this heartwarming scene. Oh, yes. (laughs) I love I love that you put heartwarming in the notes. Yeah, because it was I was very much like it was like, oh, well, it's cute because he it starts with him walking up to the feds just like, oh, hey, guys, he brings them coffee and goes, can I borrow your binoculars? And they're like, this is not how it works. And he's like, come on. I know you have binoculars. You don't need them to see me because I'm right here. So let me borrow them. And they're like, fine. They hand over the binoculars. He hands over the coffee. He uses the binoculars to watch the kid because they are. He, they've tailed him to the kid's school or whatever, yeah. and he uses the binoculars, even though the, the kid's like 10 feet away. <laughs> it seems like more of a power move for him to mess with the feds, but yeah. he sees the kid beating up his bullies, and the voiceover basically gives the message of the show that it's good to help the little guy take down the bullies. Yay! Yeah. So presumably that's going to be the kind of raison d'etre of the whole show. <laughs> uh, but then we get a little end tag. Uh-huh. To tease us for the rest of the show, which is he gets home to his sketchy apartment to find surveillance photos of him all over the apartment, like everywhere. And these are surveillance photos of him at every stage of this episode. It's like a recap of the episode. <laughs> yeah, including a few you know, hours ago of him with the feds. So he's like, well, it's not the feds because they don't spy on their own. Right. And he doesn't know who it is. But right in the middle of it is a welcome to Miami brochure. So the, <laughs> someone's sending him a message. Yeah. We're watching and sit tight. Basically stay in Miami. So that is the end of the episode. Credits. Smell like a sound. I'm lost in a crowd. And I'm hungry like the wolf. All right, so let's move on to... Thoughts. Thoughts Thoughts and prayers? <laughs> That's what we should actually call clips. <laughs> Just thoughts and prayers. Like, what do you think about it? And what do you, what do you hope will happen in the show? <laughs> Clips and chips slash thoughts and prayers. So, uh, thoughts. Thoughts. Um, I'd say generally aside, my only complaints really were that it was a little bit like, uh, I wasn't totally sold on why he was doing what he was doing, but they got me there in the end. So I'm okay with it. Um, the only real thing that I, the question I still had at the end of the episode was, I'm not convinced that someone as well adjusted as him is a spy 
basically. He makes a comment about, oh, you know, people with healthy uh, family relationships and good childhoods don't make good spies. But like, even though his mom's sort of manipulative and he obviously had a bad relationship with his dad, he seems pretty well adjusted. He does. Although, I mean, that is something that may be explored more later on. He may have had, sure, you know, some sort of mentor figure that kind of straightened him out in his 20s or something who has not been introduced or talked about or whatever. I, and I like... I like the idea of he's not your cliche spy. Yeah. A lot of the things he does, he does it in a way to make it easier, to make it uh, less dramatic, less shenanigans, less injury to anyone or to anything. During the whole B plot with the drug dealer, to get this drug dealer off his back, because the drug dealer keeps trying to mess with him, he does eventually shoot the drug dealer in the knee, but he then goes like, Okay, now you need to get out of here. You've got 20 minutes to get out of here. I never want to see you again. Uh, he hands him some disinfectant and like a bandage. It says, Dis- that's only a, you know, that's a relatively minor wound. Disinfect it with this. Wrap it with this. If you get to a hospital within an hour, you won't even walk with a limp. Like yeah. <laughs> this ridiculous drug dealer character, he's still giving him, you know, first aid advice. So I liked that. I liked that he's a spy, but he's not... James Bond. He's not always doing things the most dramatic way. He's not seducing ladies and doing ridiculous crap. And yeah, yeah. And yet it was like, oh, is this guy really a? This guy's a spy, though. I don't know. Maybe I'm just too used to seeing ridiculous spy stuff. It's too hard to buy somebody who actually can think straight being a spy. Which I enjoyed. I think that's one of the reasons that like I was so invested in the show almost from the word go. Is it's like. I actually like this guy in a way that, like, honestly, if I get right down to it, I don't like James Bond. I don't like a lot of these spy characters because Mm -hmm. they're assholes who don't really think about the people, you know, people. They just kind of blow through people's lives and whatever. Yeah. Oh, even in the very first scene, not the very first scene, but when he steals the motorcycle to get away from, you know, Boris the wannabe warlord. He says to the guy, I'll leave it at the airport and <laughs> takes off. Like, yeah. he even lets the guy know where he's going to leave the motorcycle. He he cares about people. Yeah. He doesn't try to ruin the lives of little people, yeah. civilians, just because, sorry, greater good and all that. And I like that. I, I guess I just needed time to yeah. wrap my brain around a spy that's not a complete shithead. I think that is what is just so endearing about this whole world. Even the FBI guys who are, who've been tailing him, they kind of give him some shit. But then later when he's like, here's some coffees, can I use the binoculars? They're like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> it would have been so easy to have the FBI guys be like titanic assholes the whole time and have his FBI handler be like, well, you know, like a total jerk to him. And like all, all these people like, but instead it just, it just kind of feels like a lot of the characters feel like just people. Yeah. Which is refreshing. Like even the, the nominal villain, the the Mr. Pine, the Ray Weiss character, like he he's doing a bad thing, but like he's a guy who has had his fortunes ruined and he's just trying to do like an insurance scam. And even in his insurance scam, whenever he talks to the police or anybody, he's insisting that Javier didn't okay, do it. Okay, but that was uh, that was because he was create creating plausible deniability for himself. He didn't give a shit about Javier. Right, Javier was going right. to go to jail in the end. I'm I'm not willing to say that even Mr. Pine was a good guy. Mr. Pine was a shithead and so is Vince. No, I'm I'm not saying he was a good guy. I'm just saying he even the way Ray Wise is playing that character like when he's finally confronted with it like it's this guy in over his head. Sure. 
you know, it, it's like he's doing a bad thing because he's in over his head and he's gotten wrapped up in this plot and he he's throwing someone under the bus, but it's not in a like, I shall do my evil deeds and from my castle of evil, it's someone doing something bad out of desperation, which for me, it was a more interesting character take than, you know, he could have just been like a super evil, shitty real estate guy. I kind of think he was, but... <laughs> Part of it might have been Ray Wise is so good at the, oh, no, face. Yeah. <laughs> like, when he find, when his scheme falls apart, that I was like, oh, oh, buddy, yeah. uh, okay. He's good at being evil, but he's also good at being like, oh, God, I'm sorry, I, I fucked up. I can't believe he was never a bad guy on leverage. It's amazing. He's good at being, like, slightly tragic evil. Or maybe he was. I've I already guess. forgotten all the names of shows that, and movies that I saw him in. Yeah. Uh, moving on, I think we should talk about Cliffs and Ships. Yes. So, Cliffs and Ships! This show, I gotta say, gave us more to think about than any of the other ones we watched, I think, in terms of what the show is going to be and what's going to happen as the show goes on. Yeah. Because it seems pretty obvious from here that the main crux of the show is going to be, basically, he's got to find something to do with his time. While he's in Miami and he's going to end up getting wrapped up in a lot of these types of little things, helping the little guy and taking down the big guy who's bullying him. So he's going to be doing a lot of those little things week to week while the overarching plot is going to be him trying to figure out who wrote his burn notice and what happened and why. Yeah. There's a scene earlier. And I think it's when he was talking to Fiona where he, she asks why he was burned. And he says, it could be a lot of things. Somebody wants to shut me up about something or they just want to get me out of the way. Could be even that somebody wants to offer me a job, but they want me desperate before they make the offer. So he's kind of like, "Eh, there's a lot of things it could be. He's not totally freaking out. Like what's going on? He still wants to know. So it seems like the main crux of the first season, probably more than the first season. I'm wondering now, how many seasons did this show run for? It was like five or six seasons. It ran for quite a time. I wonder, were they trying to figure out the mystery of his burn notice that whole time? Or did they resolve that part by the end of the first season? If not resolve it, at least... Did he figure out what the what the reason was, even if he's still burned, you know? Yeah. Because it seems like they would want to drag that out as long as possible. It's the title of the show. But it also seems like that would be the main crux of that first season's arc. Well, my read on the the little end tag of him coming in and finding all the surveillance photos and everything is that somebody engineered his burn notice to get him to Miami because reasons. Oh, sure. Maybe. Like somebody has pulled pulled those strings and that person is eventually going to become his main antagonist as he does shenanigans in Miami. It seems like that would be a good end of season one reveal. Who is the person who has been surveilling him? Are they the same person who organized for him to be burned? So that was probably, they'll probably be the, the season one uh, cliffhanger. It, It seems like it has to be something along those lines. As far as ships, I mean, I know that they want us to ship Michael and Fiona, and I don't care. I totally do. I want them to not, not to get back together. Yeah. But I want them to have just enough of that will they, won't they thing. But it's not that tedious will they, won't they, where they hate each other, and it doesn't make sense that they keep giving each other longing looks, excuse me, moonlighting. These two have a history, so they've got 
feelings for one another, but they also have good reasons for not wanting to get involved with each other. But they're going to keep getting thrown together and keep working together on cases, and those feelings will flare up, and maybe they'll occasionally... I mean, there's a scene in this episode, after they have dinner, like... Fiona is drunk and she wants to bone. She's ready. She's like, let's do this. And Michael's basically like, I got I got a lot to do. I got to get to sleep. And she's like, ugh, whatever. I'll see you tomorrow. And I love that. He turns her down and she doesn't go, well, then, you know, find someone else to help you with your scheme. She's like, yeah. okay, see you at work. <laughs> like, yep. She's like, whatever. Yep. 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 And I yep. love yep. that about, oh, I love her character. She's so good. The actress looked familiar, but I forgot to look her up and find out who she was. She reminded me of somebody and then I was like I, th- I don't think she's actually the person I'm thinking of anyway she she's fantastic. fantastic I think we both agree team Fiona so I, I just want the two of them to keep having moments and having feelings for each other but not wanting to go into it for like very legitimate reasons right that's my that's the best kind of will they won't they when there is a good reason for them to like each other and a good reason for them to not be together yes which so few will they won't they's actually manage Oh, speaking of great characters, Bruce Campbell is clearly having the time of his life with this role. Oh, so good. It's the role he was meant to play. Just a lazy guy who's coasting off of his past achievements. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. And some, something about like, it's something that you commented on it. And it was something that I was thinking about earlier is like, he has shown like checking out ladies and being a little bit like smarmy, but it doesn't come across as super gross. It just comes across as he's kind of a, he's a real cad or something like that. Like he's charming in it. And I think a lot of that is just Bruce. Yeah. That's just the way that Bruce Campbell is. I mean, I've, I've seen him live twice at like signings or first was a signing for his book. Uh huh. And the second one was, it was a screening of uh, the movie. The, my name is Bruce. Was that ridiculous? silly horror movie Uh and he was there to like do the thing and everything i've seen about him it just feels like that's what he's kind of like at least that's his his public persona at the moment he's like look i did a bunch of stuff in the past uh, now i have money to do kind of whatever i want and i'm just gonna gonna hang out and be do whatever and i'm just like he's very chill about it which is lovely all right so um let's see final verdict where are we yeah we so we got cliffs we got ships what's our final verdict did this show do the job of a pilot. Do you want to watch more? Yes. It honestly. Me too. I watched this this morning and it took a lot of self-control not to watch the next episode this afternoon. Okay. Here's the infuriating thing. This is the first show we've watched that's not available on a streaming service just for free. Like it's not on Netflix. It's on Amazon. You have to buy each episode individually. Yeah. It's so infuriating. (laughs) Well, not Moonlighting wasn't that way, but nope, I didn't care because I did not want to watch any more Moonlighting. This is the first show we've watched that I was kind of like, yeah, I could watch more of this. Like, I watched so much NCIS I didn't need to watch just because it was on Netflix and it was easy. I would much rather watch this show, but it's not... Are you going to buy it? Please buy it and then let me watch it on your Amazon. <laughs> I really do want to watch the show. Like, well, I can we'll see figure it. it out. It's fantastic. Yeah, we'll yeah it it's out. a great show. All right. If you're a fan of the show, please go to buymeacoffee.com slash pilot house and buy us however many coffees there are 20 episodes. Bucks. 20 bucks can get us the whole yeah. first season. And then you'll yeah, get to hear but, a recap episode of yeah. what we thought of the show. There you go. Because we definitely want to pick this bad boy up. Yeah, if we get to watch the whole first season, uh, we will definitely do a a, a, re- a catch-up episode. So 
if you're into burn notice, hook us up because we are broke ass musicians. <laughs> we already pay for streaming services. We can't pay to individually stream episodes of something. That's ridiculous. Oh my gosh. Fantastic. All right. I think that's it. Well, that uh, was our Bruce Campbell love fest, which I'm going to be honest, like who doesn't love a good Bruce Campbell love fest? Probably nobody. I don't know. That man is such a treasure. Anyway, that concludes this week's episode of Pilot House. As always, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pilot House Pod. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Pilot House Podcast. Or maybe just Pilot House. I should really look this stuff up before I do this. We also have a website, pilothousepodcast.com. And you can, of course, email us thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, ideas for upcoming episodes by emailing pilothousepodcast at gmail.com. So it's all pretty much the same thing. The Instagram and Twitter handles just couldn't be long enough to get the whole thing in there. I think I, I think we could have had Pilot House Podcast, but the ST was too many characters because, you know, arbitrary character limits are a thing on the internet. Uh, what else? I know I'm supposed to say a bunch of stuff. Oh, uh, our next episode coming in two weeks will be about the show Frasier. Yeah, yeah. Two Seattle natives going to talk about Frasier. So stay tuned for that, and we will see you all in two weeks. <laughs>